Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the EMILY program where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. I'm your host, Claire Holtz, and today is one of our recovery series episodes featuring Abby Scott. Hi, Abby. Hello. Thanks for having me. Abby was recently on an episode called BED and Weight Bias with Maggie, and they discussed binge eating disorder, health at every size, and how we as a community can be better advocates to those suffering with eating disorders. So if you haven't checked out that episode, definitely check it out now. But back to today's episode. As always, keep in mind that our recovery series episodes feature voices of those in eating disorder recovery or who consider themselves recovered, and these episodes may be triggering at times, so we ask that listeners use their discretion. Also, if you need, speak with a support system or therapist or listen with a friend. But back to Abby. Welcome again. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Abby Scott is a registered dietitian at the EMILY program's Anna Weston House. She's passionate about eating disorder prevention, yoga, and helping others find positive food body image. Can you tell us a little bit about what positive food body image is, Abby? Oh, yes. So positive food body image... Um, I think, and in our last episode, we kind of talked about that term positive. It really just is about accepting um, and learning to be okay with with food and with your body. Some days you'll feel that you're having a great relationship with both. Some days you might not be in that, feel like you're having a great relationship with, but it kind of ebbs and flows. And that happens for everyone with eating disorders and without. So um, I think that's a really good way to think about it. We were lucky to have you on one of our more informational episodes, but we're excited that you wanted to be on the Recovery Series episodes too. Yes. Can you explain what made you make that decision? Absolutely. So the reason I wanted to share my story on piecemeal is actually because outside of my close friends and family, um, I've never really discussed the specifics of my recovery journey, especially so publicly. Um, And while I've considered myself recovered for many years now, I figured this would be a great opportunity not only to share my journey, but it can be another form of healing for me personally. I love that as a reason. I think a lot of folks who have shared their stories feel empowered by it, but mm-hmm. not only that, it's such a huge help for those currently struggling with an eating disorder or those who are in recovery. Just to have other people's stories that they can read and that they can learn from and that they can feel connected with. Because eating disorders are so isolating. So I think sometimes not having access to other stories about them is really challenging. Absolutely. It, it can be so vulnerable too, um, kind of opening yourself up. But again, like I am really excited that, I'm at, that I am at a place now where I feel comfortable and excited to share my journey. And hopefully this can reach someone who needs it. So when did you notice you had an eating disorder? How did that start? Yeah, so I was officially diagnosed with an eating disorder at about 11 or 12 years old, so a pretty young age. Um, and it was diagnosed with, at the time, EDNOS, so eating disorders not otherwise specified. Um, so again, kind of a lump diagnosis that no longer exists. Um, but really prior to that, I was a really active kid. I was involved in basketball, swim team. I tried every sport under the sun at least once. But my ultimate favorite thing to do was dance. Um, And I love performing on stage, competing in dance competitions. Um, And it's probably no surprise that that was about the first time that I remember comparing my body with somebody else. Um, But really, I don't remember struggling with maybe dieting or food at at a younger age prior to 11 or 12. Again, I, I had this idea of maybe in my mind what a dancer's body should quote unquote look like. 
Um, and I've read journal entries actually from that time that, you know, I thought that I should lose weight or I should diet this and that, but I don't really remember it bothering me much in elementary school, um, until I was again, 11 or 12. Um, and then I hit puberty. <laughs> uh, so this is actually a really common thing that I've heard from my clients as well um, working here. Um, so yeah, during fifth grade, I had a growth spurt um, and I grew five inches over the course of the school year. <laughs> and even though I didn't lose weight in the process, um, my body shape definitely changed. Um, and I clearly remember a classmate of mine who was coincidentally my dance teacher's daughter. Um, I remember her asking me, how did you lose weight? And my initial reaction was confusion because mm. I didn't do anything um, intentionally. Like my body was changing. Like I, I just thought it was a normal human experience, which it is. <laughs> um, and my initial reaction again, yeah, was just, huh? Like, what do you mean? And and then she made a comment that she wishes she could lose weight like me. And that kind of stuck with me, but I tried to brush it off. But really, I remember a big uh, comment that, re that really got to me was that summer swim team and adult actually made a comment about my body and it was a parent um yeah it, it makes me kind of squirm thinking about that too i was doing a fake vomit face over here for yes. the listeners. Um, so yeah it was during swim team practice and they said it to another parent without me realizing that i could overhear um and they said wow abby looks so good now um and through Yikes. those experiences yeah through those experiences uh it made me internalize that a quote-unquote smaller body was somehow better and I needed to keep it that way. Um, so that's kind of what triggered um, my symptom use, which I can get into in a little bit if needed. Yeah, so you were young for this, right? I was very young, yep. Middle school was when I uh, struggled with an eating disorder. Oof, so were you on the middle school swim team then? Is that how that worked? Um, yep, it was summer swim team, yeah, my okay. small town. Okay. <laughs> got it. <laughs> oh, yes. Did, so you said there was one person that was your peer in school mm -hmm. that asked how you lost weight. Were there other people making comments? Was it just the one? Um, for some reason, she is the one that sticks out to me the most. Um, but I did have friends who, I mean, again, when I was younger, like I, I always considered myself maybe I was taller and I was just built different than my friends. So I, I kind of already compared. Um, and when I, again, hit puberty in that growth spurt, I would have random comments be like, oh, you look so skinny or oh, this or oh, that. And I, I grew up in a family that also dieted. Um, so weight was kind of a central focus, but again, I never put any blame on, on anyone um, in that matter, but it really was those two comments. Um, I know for sure, and I can get into this too, I actually um, received compliments specifically through dance and um, was now I could be in the front or mm -hmm. I could have a competition solo, I could do a partner dance. There were a lot of just very body focused, um, I, I wanna say prizes basically for what happened. Yeah. I actually like the way you put it, uh, body-based prizes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's so common, especially in sports and especially mm -hmm. in dance to reward people that look like the ideal of whatever the sport is. Yeah. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. Mm -hmm. So you were struggling with this during your summer swim team. Then what? You overheard the parents say that, and then clearly it stuck with you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, from there, it just it really slowly started with me just just being really cautious of what I ate. Um, 
And the difficulty was, like I said before, was I was actually receiving praise <laughs> from both dance and swim team by my of my physical appearance. So I just thought I was being a good athlete. Um, that was the really tricky part. Um, and I thought, oh, if I'm choosing healthy items, like, of course, that's going to help me perform better. It's going to help me feel better about myself. So in the beginning, it really was for um, – for those athletic purposes um but slowly but surely it turned into me micromanaging everything i consumed so it started with counting calories fat grams um exercising excessively um to then that led to me isolating from my friends having rules about what and when i could eat um even more confusing was so this is all actually before i was even di formally diagnosed so I didn't believe I had an eating disorder um, because the only ones that I'd ever heard about were anorexia and bulimia. And because I wasn't throwing up, I didn't think I had bulimia. And because I actually was eating, I was just very specific about what I ate. I would eat three times a day, no more, no less. I would actually get very anxious. And I think there was a little bit of OCD in there. Uh, I was never formally diagnosed with that, but I would get very anxious if I ate even a minute after I was supposed to mm. so there, there was a lot of just I had to be in control of what when where and why um so to me I didn't have an eating disorder I was just trying to be healthy um yeah it was pretty difficult um and then when my mom started noticing my weight was dropping um and my rigidity around food was obviously interfering with every part of my life um she took me to a local therapist for in my hometown and again I'm from Iowa so small town Therapists, they didn't really feel equipped to work with an 11-year-old who was having food uh, judgments. So I was referred to a psychiatrist and a counselor in the Des Moines area, which was about 30 minutes away from my hometown. Um, now, mind you, in Iowa, there are no resources, eating disorder specific, like the EMILY program, um, which is really unfortunate. Um, and I saw these newer providers a few times a week, but again, they weren't eating disorder specific or based or even trained. Maybe they saw a few, but I was really kind of in and of my own. Um, I saw them a few times a week for about a year without much luck. And ultimately I was given the ultimatum of doing some form of higher level of care. So whether it be residential or IDP, again, Iowa doesn't have any really higher level of care options. And I was very close with my mom. It was me and her growing up as a single mom. So I was very, I don't know if it was really enmeshed, but we just had a very close relationship and I could not see myself going out of state um, to do any sort of treatment. So I ended up doing this adolescent young adult day program through a hospital that encompassed numerous diagnoses. So it was not eating disorder specific. Um, and it was a majority like teenagers. Granted, I was the youngest person off and I was also the only one with an eating disorder there. So very, very wow. interesting. Yeah. How, so did you go five days a week or how many days a week did you go and for how long? Yeah, so now working here at the Emily program, um, I have kind of the verbiage now. It was a, a, like an IDP program. So okay. it was five days a week, um, like eight to five, eight to four, um, very typical. Um, I really don't remember much uh, individual therapy going on. I didn't see a dietitian. So a lot of people are really surprised. Mm -hmm. I did not see a dietitian, at, especially at this uh hospital. I saw an outpatient dietitian again in my small hometown hospital once. Um, she gave me a meal plan and was like, this is what you eat. And I looked at it and I was like, nope, not doing it. <laughs> um, so there really wasn't any motivational interviewing, no goal setting, like seeing what my, um, what my um, reasonings or just anything. I didn't receive any DBT, CBT, nothing like that. 
Um, but yeah, the day program was five days a week through a local hospital there in Des Moines. Um, but it was not as comforting, I would say, as the Emily program. Um, it, I tell people that I was kind of scared into recovery because I was like, I hmm. never want to go back there again. Um, there were a lot of behavioral um, teenagers. So my first day I had to get patted down. I had to make sure I had nothing, no sharps on me. I had to take off my shoes. Um, and I remember clearly seeing like a behavioral diagnosis. I don't know what this teenager had, but throw a chair through a window. So 12 years old, very scared. I was like, yep, I don't want to be here anymore. And a lot of people are surprised here that I only received that treatment for two weeks. Um, and again, without a dietitian, without an individual therapist, I really just remember going to specific groups and eating and I was a rule follower. So I did what they told me to do. <laughs> do you remember what the groups were? I'm just hung up on the idea that it wasn't eating disorder uh -huh. specific. So it's just everyone in the same program. I try to look back. I actually, like I said earlier, have a lot of journal entries from that time period. Um, I remember I don't remember specific groups. I remember like a sort of process group um, where we all sat around and kind of talked, but it, it's really interesting because I feel like a lot of this time, I think it's my body's way of just kind of not remembering, kind of blacking out, kind of a, maybe a traumatic event, but a lot of it is really hazy. I remember specific songs from that time period because I remember where I was when I first heard it. Um, I remember that was where I learned how to write a check in like the school <laughs> that they had there. Um, and I remember like comments that some of the teenagers would make to me because they're like, who's who's this 11 year old? With, yeah. Typically it looked like anorexia again, eating disorder, not otherwise specified, but mm -hmm. um, who is this 12 year old? And they're all 17, 18 years old. It was, it was just a very interesting experience in my life. Ooh, okay. I want to talk more about that, but yes, going absolutely. back to, <laughs> yeah, first going back to your mom. So she's the one that formally, quote unquote, I guess, recognized you were struggling with an eating disorder. Yeah. Do you remember that conversation that she had with you when she first noticed? Um, it, I don't remember the first conversation, but I remember, I remember her being just confused and kind of scared. Again, I mentioned that um, in my household, it was not uncommon for her or other people in my family to be on a diet. She never forced me to to be on that, but she was a single mom. So I would tag along with her to Weight Watcher meetings, or mm -hmm. I would um, I would be there. We would have like different diet-like meals at home, but it was never pressured on me to eat that way. Um, but again, it was just one of those things that it was in my environment, so became a little bit more um, common for me. Um, I, I don't remember our first conversation. I remember someone, a dance mom, actually telling my mom that they thought I had an eating disorder and eating problem. And at first my mom denied it because of course yeah. you, you don't want to believe it. But then as she saw that things were starting to kind of go downhill, um, we, we would kind of have arguments, conversations of like, she would want me to eat and I wouldn't. One very actually particular memory I have, um, is on my way to a basketball game. So I guess I'll go back. So I actually used to be like, I was like a championship, uh, free, Free throw, yeah. Championship oh. free thrower. Um, like I made it to like regional competitions. I was really good at basketball. So then entered my eating disorder um, and I entered a lot of weight loss and I actually lost a lot of muscle. And at one of the free throw competitions, I couldn't even make a basket. Like I airballed mm -hmm. it, like even my hardest might. So um, I was definitely seeing the medical complications of that, but why that is relevant. So I remember specifically one memory, my mom was driving me to a basketball game 
and trying to get me to eat a granola bar. Like, Abby, you need a snack so you have energy. And I just outright refused. And I was like, nope, I'm not going to eat. It wasn't in my quote unquote plan for the day. Um, And I specifically remember her pulling over the car saying, Abby, you need to eat this or we're not going. And of course, I'm like, nope, I'm not going to eat it. And she turned the car around and I missed my basketball game. And that, again, still sticks in my mind because how easy would it have been just as a parent to be like, okay, like, I don't want to make you mad, um, just letting me go. But she, again, as a single mom, had so much strength, had so much support and was really like my biggest advocate for getting better. I'm imagining as an 11-year-old, correct? Uh-huh. <laughs> that you uh, probably weren't the nicest mm-hmm. when that happened. Nope. <laughs> and we have a lot of parents that listen to this podcast, so I like to try and at least give credence to everything that they're doing. So looking back on that moment, what would you say to your mom now? I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, and again, we now that I'm in a better place, like, we don't joke about it now, but we definitely have that conversation. Like, she is so proud of where, how I've, how I've grown and the woman I've become and what my, I mean, we'll get to it, but what I do now for a living, um, she's so proud of me because she was there through my very dark days. Um, But I tell her all the time that I am so sorry. I wish I would have never put that on you, but she also knows that it wasn't malicious. There was a mental health diagnosis. Um, And I think that also is something that we've both grown and learned because at the time, a lot of family members thought, oh, just eat, you'll get better. And it's not just about the food. So you went to the program for two weeks. Yes. Only two weeks. Only two weeks. Amazing. I I, I thought it was only a week. And when I reread my journal entries, it was like, oh, two weeks. And I remember like, it was such a happy journal entry when I got to leave. (laughs) Oh, I would imagine. Because I was like, all right, I'm I'm never coming back here. I'm going to eat. Cool. So is that it then? Then you just got home and you ate? So um, I got home. I was still, I would still see my therapist. Um, couple times a week um, and then it eventually was one time once a month and I saw them for a few years probably through up until the beginning years of high school and then I actually stopped seeing them which looking back now I think there could have been a lot more I could have worked on like internally around whether it be shame or my perfectionistic tendencies or just other things um, with the therapist that I could have worked on but yeah it, it sounds very interesting looking back but yeah I went to this program two weeks I'm like I never want to come back here again, so I'm going to do exactly what I'm told, even without seeing a dietitian, which, again, that is not recommended. I am a dietitian. I would not recommend this. But somehow I was able to, again, with the support of my mom, my family, my friends, I was like, okay, I know that I need to eat. And somehow I was able to restore um, to a more healthy and normal weight for myself. Um, and, and again, for a while, I did have um, have thoughts of, like, good, bad foods, like, again, that kind of mentality did stick with me for a while. But now being, I mean, 15, oh, yeah, almost 15 years recovered, um, I wish I would have learned about intuitive eating, health at every size, much sooner, because I think that would have been even a more game changer. Um, Yeah, I wish there would have been an Emily program or some type of clinic available um, to people in Iowa, because there's nothing in state, and the closest is either Minnesota or Children's in Nebraska, Timberline Knowles, um, or McCallum in St. Louis. Like, there's nothing in Iowa. So we're really landlocked for providers. Um, But going back, you said that you continued therapy after you left that two-week treatment program. Mm -hmm. And you continued it for a few years, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the confusion for a lot of people upon hearing that 
which I'm just going to put myself in other people's yes. shoes that yes. don't know anything about eating disorders and say that I think some people would be confused why you went for that long after you, quote unquote, were healthy and regained the weight and yeah. were eating normal. And I think people think that because people think eating disorders are just about eating. So yeah. if you left treatment and you eat, then why would you still need therapy? Absolutely. Um, and I think my biggest reasoning for is because you need that accountability piece. Because um, if I went to this day program and then just stopped providers altogether, it could have been so easy for me to just slip back into my old patterns like, oh, what's one snack here or there. Oh, now getting back to that rigidity piece. Um, and definitely it took me some time and some therapy to realize like, okay, I can be, I can be more lenient. I don't have to just eat at eight, noon and five. <laughs> Those are my specific times. Now I can eat when I'm hungry and I can eat snacks in between. Um, and, and that was a couple years on learning. Um, and so I would definitely say, even though my my treatment plan wasn't the typical, and again, it would not be what I would have recommended for myself either now being a provider, um, I I do see the value in continuing care, whatever that looks like, whether it be therapist, dietitian, MD, or both. In your therapy sessions, were you only talking about food and eating? I believe so, um, because now learning about like DBT and CBT and, and work, um, I really only remember like setting plans or goals around meals and foods um, and talking about my judgments I had around specific foods and um, setting goals, which again, looking back, it is a really dietitian thing to do. Um, but I remember setting goals if I had to eat in one of my darker periods, having to eat like a milkshake twice that week or something. Mm -hmm. And that just was scary beyond belief now. And now if someone would tell me to eat a a milkshake twice I'd be like only twice <laughs> like can I have one more so it, that food freedom is is possible and that's what I I think I also want to share with this story is that there is a time or you can get to a place where food doesn't rule your life or exercise doesn't rule your life your body doesn't rule your life now when folks go to therapy for eating disorders there's often CBD and DBT which you mentioned mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of focus on areas that aren't food specific yeah. so perfectionist tendencies um, anxiety and depression a lot of folks also struggle with do you feel like you missed that when you were struggling that you didn't oh, have someone to talk to absolutely a hundred percent um a group that our clients get at the Anna Weston house is um, assertiveness which oh I if that group would have been been available for me that would have been the hardest. It probably still would be the hardest. I tell my clients all the time that they have more skills than, than me sometimes because they are learning it at such um, an important time. But yes, I missed out on all of those pieces, even art therapy, even yoga. Like how can I use movement in an appropriate way to notice the strength of my body versus changing what my body looks like or wanting to. Um, and definitely obviously missed nutrition education. I really didn't get a formal nutrition education until I went to school to become a dietitian, um, which that whole journey is very interesting in and of itself too, how it became about, but let's yeah. hear about it. <laughs> so I was the type of student in high school. I would almost every day, like <laughs> I would go online. That's when the internet was really starting to become about, but I would go online and look at, um, colleges, majors and what they'd offer. And I just love learning. So like oh, I could learn to learn about accounting, finance. Like literally nothing was off, off hands for me. And I, I mean, I always knew I wanted to help people. I knew I loved learning. And it wasn't until my senior year, probably 
my the spring semester of my senior year of high school. So I already decided I was going to Iowa State University. I, I knew it, that's where I wanted to go, and I would I would just look up, oh, what cool clubs can I do? What cool, like, you know, things I probably didn't have to worry about at the time. But I stumbled upon a major dietetics, and I'm like, what is this? And I read the description, like learning about the food science, learning about nutrition counseling, learning, and it was just like this aha moment. I'm like, why have I never known about this? <laughs> like, of course I knew what nutrition was, um, but dietetics could be a career. Like what so I actually called the Iowa State Registrar like I had I think I had put in like just open major and I was like nope this is what I want to major in and I never changed it um so from then on that's when I was like and I knew like light bulb if I can work with food nutrition I could help other people with eating disorders so from the get-go I knew I wanted to be a dietitian who worked with eating disorders and then you found the Emily program and then I found the Emily program but how (laughs) um yeah so I actually um so, yep, I graduated Iowa State in 2012. Um, I worked, so I've been a dietitian now almost six, yeah, six years. I became a dietitian in 2013, uh, passed my boards. Um, I held a, numerous jobs before, so I worked in long-term care. I worked in a community setting. Um, but eating disorders always, always was my passion, and I utilized that. Like, I saw some outpatient eating disorder clients because that was just what I was passionate about, and there's – now an amazing nonprofit in Iowa called um, the Eating Disorder Coalition of Iowa, who does try to get resources to um, to Iowans for eating disorder recovery, whether it be a dietitian or a therapist or doctor, um, or help to get transitions to higher levels of care. Um, so I worked with them and networked um, really well and learned from amazing, amazing mentors, um, whether it be therapists and dietitians in the central Iowa location. Um, and I worked at community. Um, I worked as a retail dietitian for a while, and then I saw an opening for the Emily program. And just at the stage of my life, my husband and my son, I was like, this is the perfect time that we could. And so applied, drove up the four hours to do an interview. Um, and the next week I was offered a job. So it was totally life-changing. I could not believe that I had basically got my dream job in my 20s. <laughs> That's that story is amazing. <laughs> I mean, normally it doesn't work out that no. flawlessly for folks. So it's cool to hear a story of yeah. someone knowing immediately what they want to do and what they want to specialize in and then ending up in it. Yeah. So that's exciting. And we're obviously very lucky to have you at the Emily oh, program. Yes, I love being here. Yeah. So two questions before we end this episode. The first one I ask in all my recovery series episodes, and it is, what would you say to other individuals struggling with disordered eating? So I would say, and this is what I actually say to all my clients, um, that no matter what your eating disorder voice is telling you, your eating disorder is not the only answer. Um, Yes, recovery and the struggles you um, will face are very challenging, but it does, it gets so much easier on the other side and you have so much more of a life to live without those preoccupations. Um, And it seems counterintuitive, but I tell clients, when you're thinking less about food and your body, you're not going to be thinking about it and it's not going to hold as much um hold as much in your let's say your pie chart of what you care about (laughs) final question why was recovery worth it for you oh so recovery was absolutely worth it for me because like i've mentioned while i didn't receive eating disorder specific treatment i now get the opportunity to stand alongside my clients every single day 
to fight their eating disorders. Um, again, that is what I'm passionate about. I truly believe I wouldn't be the dietitian, the wife, the mom, the daughter, or even the friend I am today if I hadn't fought and won my own battle. Um, so doing this work and sharing this message of eating disorder prevention is what I plan on doing for basically forever. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. Thank you so much, Claire. Again, this is Abby Scott, and she is a dietitian at the Emily Programs and a Weston House for Adults, correct? Correct. Okay, I know we have we also have Anna Weston for adolescents, so I just wanted to clarify. As always, Piecemeal is an Emily Program podcast with new episodes out the first Monday of every month and new recovery series episodes out the third Wednesday of every month. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, or leave us a review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. If you'd like to learn more about the Emily Program and what we do, you can visit emilyprogram.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Emily Program. Piecemeal is hosted and edited by me, Claire Holtz, produced by myself and Nancy Linden, with music by Dan Forkey. 